Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 210, Hope is the Last Thing We Need. This week, we're discussing season 4, episode 10 of Battlestar Galactica, Sine Quanon, and season 4, episode 7 of Angel, Apocalypse Nowish. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Alrighty. BSG. Um, so yeah, so we're on the uh, Galactica fleet side of things this week. Mm-hmm. So we we don't really know what's, what's happening with Roslyn at all. Um, yeah, that's always an interesting choice when the when the groups split like that of like which group do you do first and which do you do second. I always find that that's an interesting because you kind of could do one or the other. Like you could probably almost easily reverse the decision and it would probably you yeah. know, maybe might work as well, might not, but it would be a different story depending on which you you lead with. Sure. Although I do feel like, I mean, this gets, not to like give anything away or whatever, but like, if if we were to follow the others, like, you you get the sense, even from stuff that you find out in this episode, that there's like, like that they're doing things, that they're like, like the people on Galactica are, and you know, in the fleet are the ones like worrying about like, oh my gosh, where is everyone else? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, everyone else seems to be off, like, blowing up resurrection ships and getting yeah. into battles. And yeah. and we don't really know. And then, like, you, you know, you get the raptor coming back, like, with all these, you know, holes in it and, you know, the engine not working right. and, you know, stuff like that. So, like, you get the sense that there's, like, action going on over there. And I do feel like having this one first you can have that sort of slow reveal, mm-hmm. um, you know, through the different things that you learn in this episode. And then like, I think next episode, I'm pretty sure we'll find out like mm-hmm. more about what's going on there um, on the other side of things. Whereas if you had it flipped mm-hmm. and then came back to like the Galactica later where they're like, Oh, I'm so worried about what's going on over there. It's like, well, we already know. Mm-hmm from a viewer's standpoint. So there, and I mean, if you've watched it, you already know what's going on anyway, but like, there's still kind of like, it's, it's the order almost helps Mm -hmm. lend the surprisingness Mm -hmm. aspect of it by experiencing first what the people who don't know anything about what's going on on the other side. And not that like Rosalind and them necessarily know what's going on, but they probably have a good idea. Like, Oh, they're probably scrambling to try to find us because that's what Adama always does in situations like this. Like, like it's easier to extrapolate back mm-hmm. from, you know, Rosalind's perspective than it is the other way where you just have no idea what's happening. Right. Um, right. And you're following the trail of, of debris, like you said, from all of these. Right. So it extends the mystery a bit of like, you're getting clues about what's going on, but you're the satisfaction of finding out for sure what happened or, if, if any of the specific characters that you care about are in danger is sort of teased out longer being on this yeah. side of it. Um, so, I mean, I, I agree with you. It is an interesting 
thing to see why they chose, you know, the way they chose. But um, yeah, like with this one, I, I guess it feels to me like I, I mean, I guess I'm saying I like the choice they made mm-hmm. ultimately, and and that uh, it seems to make sense to do it this way, mm-hmm. um, you know, given that reveal. Um, but before we get into sort of the main story, um, just kind of want to finish up with Natalie because you know there's not much to say, but there is a little bit at the beginning there. Um, obviously, sort of picks up close to where we left off, right? With her um, having been shot by Athena and getting rushed to sick bay, um, where Cottle, you know, is like operating on her and mm-hmm. trying to save her life. Um, and he's not successful. Mm-hmm. And so we've gotten um, a little bit before from, you know, the Cylon perspective about the idea of projection. And mm-hmm. um, she seems to be like doing that, like sort of at the end of her life, like trying to imagine that she's in a forest or whatever mm-hmm. um, or out in nature and um, kind of. I'm maybe not wholly successful at it, you know, like there's sort of, uh, I don't, I guess just her mind's not capable of doing it in sort of the depleted and, you know, weakened state or whatever, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, I I mean, complete guess on my part. I don't actually know, but, um, right. Right. All that stuff about like, take your mind away from the pain that, that, six told Baltar about and everything. It seems like that's more of a struggle for, Mm -hmm. for Natalie. Um, Right. It certainly, it certainly seems to have limits. Like, like you can't maybe take all the pain away or, you know, there's a sufficient intensity of pain that will, you know, never go away completely or something like that. But, um, well, and it is also too, like, how much is is it a direct physical result or is it just a kind of symbolic link, but is it related to the kind of increased humanity of these Cylons? The fact that they've abandoned their, their most machine like counterparts and they've accepted mortality and, and kind of thrown in their lot with the humans. Then mm-hmm. it feels kind of appropriate that, Natalie struggles with that kind of um, Cylon projection ability sort of at the end of her life when it's not even just, oh, the pain of torture or something like Baltar had, but like actual death itself that projection can't really, it only takes you so far when you're dealing with your actual final mortality. Sure. And I like yeah. that, like, even if she's kind of reaching for the the forest or the project, projection or something that she's seeing or whatever, that, like, Coddle takes her hand. That there's that, you know, kind of connection, human and Cylon connection between the two that, you know. I mean, Coddle's always mm-hmm. been like that. He He's one of those good doctors who treats everybody the same, whether their physiology <laughs> is you know different or not that, that if the, if sure. they're a patient on his table he sort of takes care of them but um but i feel like maybe 
the value of seeing her death scenes rather than just have her sort of die in the hallway right away is like it adds kind of more of a human element to the cost of her decision to abandon the resurrection but like Mm -hmm. that's what it means is she it came a lot sooner than she thought or we would intend for it but like I guess we're seeing like the direct consequence of their decision to do that. Sure. Um, so yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, she dies. And like you said, like, I mean, there's, you know, Coddles there and kind of holds her hand at the end, but um, I mean, that's significant. Right? Like, I mean, this is, especially given that she was kind of an envoy, mm-hmm. right? Um, particularly in this instance, right? And so that's, um, in, I mean, in addition to the fact that, like, the base star jumped away, like, that's the, that's, like, the second thing that's, like, going on, right? Like, is, like, we just killed basically a diplomat, mm-hmm. right? Like... Um, right, this who could be was like, negotiating a peace. Yeah. Um, right, this could be the kickoff of a of a, a new world war or something. Like you know that this is what happens when you shoot, you know, mm-hmm. your ambassadors and everything. Right. Not um, great for your diplomatic relations. No, uh, and so you get um, kind of two results, and so I mean we we'll talk through um the different uh so well you get like the immediate result from like the quorum and stuff right like basically like they're in a frenzy like trying to figure out what's going on trying to get good intel right like president's kidnapped someone shoot you know shot the cylon um i don't even know if they know knew that it was athena you know, another Cylon that had shot in Natalie or not. Um, they just kind of have these reports coming in or trying to make sense of it. Um, but I don't want to start there. I actually want to start with, like, the Adama side of things. I I don't know. I, I feel like it's more of an Adama-heavy episode. You pointed out that Lee, of course, gets a lot of screen time, too. So certainly it's Adama family. Mm-hmm. focused episode um but i do feel like we get a lot of a, a good portion of the episode through uh commander admiral adama's eyes yeah yeah uh and so kind of wanted to start there because like right from the get-go he's just like pissed at everyone <laughs> like he's just like which i mean Granted, things are, like, falling apart. Like, yes, sure. again, you know, you had the the Cylon ambassador shot. Oh, and by the way, Roslyn and, like, a bunch of pilots and um, Marines have been kidnapped, mm-hmm. basically, by this other Cylons who were supposed to be their allies. Um, or at least were claiming to be their allies. So um, his reaction is in typical sort of Adama fashion to just, like yell and berate everyone and not care like what anyone else's opinions are um about things 
Um, right, or what anybody needs from him in order to keep things going or do their jobs or try to fix these circumstances. Right. He just sort of right. shuts down. This is, like, if there's ever a time when Adama might, uh, you know, deign to, like, go in front of the quorum, which, granted, is not that often on a good day, like, even. But, like, this certainly is, like, the farthest from that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that's exactly, right, like, that's what Lee is sort of been appointed by the quorum as the uh, ambassador to Adama, I mean, right. rightfully enough, right. to, uh, you know, try to get some information and um, and to try to uphold uh, support for Zarek as the uh, president, you know, under law. As, as the elected vice president, he is, uh, you know, apparently the next in, in line. Mm-hmm. And um, Adama's just not having any of it. Um, no, which we've certainly not the first time we've gotten that before but um but uh until uh, apart from that little teeny interim between like you know the new caprica uh into back into the fleet which didn't really last that long and and zarek rolled over pretty quickly it's never really been seriously suggested that Zarek would be the president before, you know? Um, so I think like we've gotten that visceral dislike, but here it's more kind of brought to a head mm-hmm. because he would have to actually acknowledge his presidency. And so like, it's a funny kind of mirroring of the early Adama Roslin conflict when, you know, there were sort of, coups being considered or staged or you know like at what point Mm -hmm. what's Adama's limit for what he'll accept from a leader of the fleet that he does not disagree or that he does not agree with um sure Um, and it kind of also like it's different but like in I feel like this season or maybe even a little longer have been kind of criticizing Rosalind's more authoritarian streak in the way she handles the quorum and the way she handles the people of the fleet. And I feel like Adama has a little bit of that too. That like, I mean, like you said, he's never like super into coddling the civvies at the best of times, but like put Zarek in charge of the, the government and suddenly he like will refuse to communicate with them at all. Um, yeah. Well, and, and you even get, like, a little snippet of, the, of that from Zarek when he's on the radio, right? Of, like, basically you've got, you know, Adama and Roslyn being their own little tyrannical selves. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't write down the exact quote here. But, uh, yeah, just kind of making that suggestion of, like, these are two people who aren't really interested in rule of law. It's just, you know, their way or the highway or the Skyway, or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, that's it. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, no, I... uh, So, yeah, I mean, so basically you get Adama, like, ignoring these requests to, you know, go in front of the quorum and, and, you know, offer information and stuff. Um, And instead, he's just kind of like, 
well, you know, once again, racetrack is the dirty job, right? Like of going out and like seeing what's going on and, um, you know, they find this Raptor and of course it turns out, I mean, it's all shot up. The, the pilot's dead and, you know, it turns out to be the, uh, shuttle that Roslyn had been on. And if, like, I mean, so of course we saw her carrying the book, right? Sea Rider Falcon, which, um, Adama had read to her mm-hmm. when, when she was getting her deloxin treatment. So very, you know, sentimental and, and sympathetic mm-hmm. sort of vision there. And then of course Adama finds that book in there, which I guess makes sense, but like also like, I don't know. I guess she left it in the Raptor. Like, I guess it's not that big of a thing, but you just kind of wonder like why she didn't just have it on her, Mm -hmm. you know, um, as well. But it was Raptor reading, I guess. Um, Right. Well, we'll have to pay attention to like, do they address that? Like, do they make a point of her leaving it behind or not? I don't remember. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, right. Like the, the cynic in me or the, not cynic maybe, but like the, analytical writer in me like thinks like no it was just like clearly like they wanted to show they needed to have something that would prove like it was the rapper that she had been in to kind of give you that right sense of like dread that oh did something happen to her as well um you know and so this this is a easily identifiable way to do that Mm -hmm. um and certainly works on adama whether it works on the audience or not sure. is a different question, but um, certainly works on him to, uh, you know, figure out that it's her raptor and that something obviously went terribly wrong. I mean, you already knew something went terribly wrong when the base star jumped away, but that more things continued to go wrong right. afterwards because right. now you have a shot up raptor with dead people somehow finding its way back to the fleet. Right. Um. And so they use the data from that to, like, you know, figure out where it jumped from and go and see, like, the destroyed resurrection ship and and stuff. Um, So, yeah, I mean, a lot of, at least the first half of the episode, or first third or so of the episode is, like, Adama, like, just kind of being angry and, like giving people orders and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, And like, it seems like he just keeps getting bad and like not bad information, um, but like bad news, right? Like Mm. uh, information that, you know, things are going poorly, um, including the shot up Raptor to start with, but then also like, talking to Cobble and getting information about like Rosalind's treatments and how, you know, if she doesn't continue getting them, the cancer could come back, right. you know, pretty, pretty, you know, aggressively. Um, and then like the news that, Oh, your buddy Ty has been going to see, <laughs> The Cylon prisoner I, and turning off videos and, that's so funny. and guess what like, I found. Guess what I found. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and so it's just like one thing and then you know again like all the pressure from lee and the quorum and whatever to to provide answers and stuff just kind of really uh yeah really has its uh oh oh and then of course athena so we can't skip athena um i don't actually remember if the athena stuff comes first or the tie stuff but we'll go with athena first so i think it's athena but anyway yeah i think you're right so like right as if like i mean it's bad enough that like a cylon got shot on his ship like a diplomat Cylon. Mm-hmm. i mean you know sure they have shot cylons on right but they didn't well, want this before, one shot but like <laughs> but this one was like yeah not this was the shot. one we wanted to to not hurt yeah um and i mean i mean the core of it comes kind of at the end of their discussion right like i mean so obviously he's very angry and demanding to know why she did this and like how it could do it and you know how she could do it and uh athena kind of tells him about her premonitions of the cylon stealing kidnapping hera and all of that um And that's all bad. And it gets, you know, Adama gives it to her, you know, you murdered an unarmed woman and put the lives of every single person in the fleet at risk. Um, you may have cost the lives of the president and your husband. Oh, right. Hilo's over there because Hilo does everything like he's Mr. <laughs> Oddjob. Um, he really is. And yeah, it's like, it's kind of weird. Uh he how he just kind of gets put into those jack of all different... trades yeah yeah but uh <laughs> yeah, he can you know, he can this... he can lead your pilots he can run your cic he can lead your you know random ops mission whatever you need yeah um you know you, you disobeyed direct orders from a superior officer but more importantly you betrayed a promise to me. Like, you know, it's that, I mean, right. all of those it's things are true. personal element, yeah. But, like, that's what really is making him angry, right? Yeah. Is that fact that, like, he stood up for her and, like, brought her into the fleet and allowed her to become, uh, you know, a pilot and, and all of this stuff. And she betrayed him, betrayed a promise. Um I'll be honest, I don't know exactly what the promise is. Does he state like I mean, I guess just that like she'll be she'll be good. Just like <laughs> don't do shady stuff like shoot yeah, people. Don't kill people. Yeah. yeah. If um, if there's one thing we can learn from the boomer experience, just don't shoot right. anybody. Well, exactly. And that's the thing, is like there is very much shades of boomer in this right like right. Uh, i mean from the other side right. of that unpredictability of Callie, yeah yeah of of Callie hilling you know shooting boomer mm. um and yeah i mean i yeah like maybe i don't maybe there is any maybe it's more of an implied promise um i don't i mean without going back like over old transcripts and stuff it's hard to say but just that idea of like yeah you you betrayed your trust, the trust that I gave you and, uh, you know, killed someone who was under my protection, basically. Um, and without anything more than kind of vague 
visions and dreams and premonitions that mm -hmm. you know Adama doesn't believe in. Um, although he don't he does know does he not know about the shared visions? I don't at know this how much he knows about that. Like there's the rumors, Rosin but I don't know that Rosalind's talked to him about the like the, yeah. the shared dreaming and everything. Um, um yeah, so maybe I mean because like she's surprised when like Starbuck brings it up, right, right? Right. Um. But yeah. Anyway, so all that said, I mean, like, yeah, like he's that's the reason he's mad at her and uh throws her in the brig. Uh, takes Hera away from her, although it's not real clear what happens to Hera. In the meantime, I guess he has someone watch her for a while. Like, right? Somebody's I, like somebody's taking I care mean, of her. It's not clear who. Kilo's gone. I mean, I guess there is like because there is some sort of like daycare or something, right? Because uh, Tyrell and and Callie right. sent Nikki to like some kind of daycare or something, right? Like at one point, right? Yeah, maybe. yeah. Um. Which is kind of a weird thought that there's a daycare on Galactica the daycare. Star. Um But, I mean, like, maybe that's just more because they have civilians and stuff on the ship now, too. Right, right. Um, right, like, and you like have, might... like, families, like, people getting married and living together where they wouldn't normally right. be allowed to. Um, right, like, a, on a normal military ship, you right. wouldn't necessarily have that. But, like, but, like there's 50,000 people left. For, and, yeah extended years and and right and they've taken on you know refugees from ships that have been destroyed and whatever but look Rosalind said we have to make babies and like you got to provide yeah. the daycare if you want people so to it. procreate so yep um so it's a it's a benefit that they're like a, a work benefit right. that they're entitled to i think but right. yeah so somebody's taking care i don't know who um yeah it's not a big deal i just it just kind of occurred to me like oh we just talked about kilo not being there so like where did Hera go um which of course adds sort of the level of irony to it right like i mean if athena is doing it, it you know is killing right uh you know natalie so that her child isn't taken away the act of doing that has her child taken away from her mm -hmm. right um uh, or at least at least for the time being, um, of course, she gets returned later. <gasps> Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, under, um, under Ty's kinder regime. But we'll get there. Um, sure. Well, <laughs> right. Ty, which is an odd concept in and of itself. Ty's kinder regime. Right, yeah. Um, of course, it is still an Adama order. It is right, it is. like so. Right, he feels bad before he before he leaves, and yeah. Um. All right, so Zarek, Athena, uh, so Ty, right? Like now we come to Ty, and I mean such a mess. So thinking about the fight scenes in this versus the Angel episode, we're going to talk about like two very different <laughs> yeah. approaches. Um, this is the old man fighting. It sure is, yeah. Fighting over um, their ladies. Kind of hilarious. Yeah, I mean... So funny. It's definitely... 
I mean, obviously, like, they're both very upset. But yeah, like, so the thing that Coddle tells Adama is, of course, that Caprica 6 is pregnant. And Ty just happens to have been going down and visiting. Now, like, what's weird is that, like, Ty is so stunned by it. Mm. And so it's hard to, like, know if he's actually, like, did he black out? Like, mm. like, does he, like, it's hard to know if, like, he's stunned because, like, he's surprised that Adama found out. Or, like, he's stunned that, like, he knows it could be true and maybe doesn't remember it. And, like, there's no real confirmation from him ever mm. about what's going on right right and yeah i mean i guess there's a bunch of ways you could take that i mean i kind of always i think i took it as more of a um extrapolating from the cylon difficulty with fertility um of him not really uh anticipating the idea that they might actually get pregnant that like just the product of two silence is just not going to happen. Um, so he's more sure. stunned by the like medical Marvel aspect of it was more kind of yeah. my reading, but like, yeah, I mean, she did kind of like beat the crap out of him the first time. So maybe there's an element of that well, of like, you know, like he's and- not aware of what he's doing or I take that as far as you want to, I guess, but. Yeah, and there's, I mean, and we know that Cylons sometimes do things and then don't remember them later. Sure. Like, I mean, that seems to be, like with Boomer, it was like programmed in, but maybe there's sort of, you know, maybe in the penultimate four or final five, there's a kind of uh, fugue state or, or something that, maybe he doesn't remember or maybe he totally remembers. And yeah, it was just surprised that like Adama found out, or like you said, like that there's a medical Marvel aspect to it that he just never would have expected it to happen. Or I mean, and you know, so we talked about projecting with Natalie. I mean, there's the, there's the Ellen Mm -hmm. projections that he's been having too. So maybe it's, Maybe he's realizing that things that he thought were uh, projections or or not real or or figments of his imagination, however he thinks of them, maybe he imagined it or thought he imagined it and it turned out weren't really projections. Yeah, yeah. Like (laughs) you know, I mean, there there's that aspect too. So, um, yeah, like I, I mean. Right. Adama is sort of quick, I think, to accept his stunned silence as, well, you're not denying it. And it's like, maybe that's just because there's too many possibilities of what could actually be going on. Mm-hmm. That, you, I mean, not not that any of them are necessarily better. It's not like Ty wants to reveal what he's been down there talking to the Caprica Six about. Right. Um, but yeah, like maybe you know, you know, maybe there's other explanations than yes, my silence means I did it. Like 
that also seems to not necessarily be, you know, uh, the only truth that could possibly be, uh, as as Adamus seems to um, imply there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, I mean, then the name calling starts, right? Um, or or more like the calling out of loyalty and trust and which again, like, I mean, this is the thing that he said to Athena, like it's the same thing, a, a different irony this time, because like now, you know, Ty we know is a Cylon. So like, what do you think Ellen would say about all this? Leave Ellen out of, well, there's other ironies in all of this mm. as well, but you know, what do you think Ellen would say about her husband impregnating a fracking Cylon prisoner? Well, what do you think she'd say about him being a Cylon? Right, <laughs> like, right. like, you know, obviously there's, you know, there's a lot of irony going on there where Adama just doesn't have any clue as to Ty's true nature. So, right. Um, right, right. Yeah. Although, and like, this is... Be- you know, impregnating a uh, a prisoner is sort of a, a bit extreme, even for Ty. But like, you know, on the one hand, though, all of this kind of is the shadiness of the behavior is in some ways protected by like Ty's general kind of being a mess in the first place that like, like the way Adama is like, you know, Ty's kind of trying to convince him that he's not disloyal. Um, and Adama's kind of like, in a way, that's not the point. Like, I need more than your loyalty. You're my first officer. I need judgment. I need your competence. And it's like, he kind of writes this off as like yet another Thai mess that he has to clean up. Like, he doesn't, I don't think, ever really think it's not a matter of disloyalty in the sense of Thai's not uh, secretly working for any other side behind his back he's not undermining him I think he kind of he might kind of say that but I think it's more about like stop making these stupid decisions um mm-hmm. in some ways it's like that's what you needed to say for, to tie from day one is okay loyalty is all well and good but judgment and competence are things that you need to work on um so like in some ways I think again it, it only it doesn't help Ty's cover but it doesn't necessarily break his cover either that he did this like Ty's loyalty is kind of beyond question to Adama mm-hmm. well and of course I mean so they fight and you know get it out of their system and you know a lot of this is again like Adama feeling betrayed and overwhelmed I guess um but by the end of by like by the end of the episode, he's also giving Ty command of the entire fleet. So right, like, right? Yeah, I mean, right. And that is a, a like a, yeah. When it's like you can't be crazy enough to leave me in charge. You're not the same man you were. It's like really. <laughs> yeah, really? like an hour ago, you were punching him out and accusing him of being incompetent. You know, and yeah. Uh, an incompetent traitor right. or whatever, like yeah. basically. Right. So, right. 
yeah, it, I mean, it, it is quite a turnaround. Um, yeah. I mean, then maybe Adama's loyalty is as unbreakable and blind as Ties is. Like, they fight about stuff. They may end up punching each other about stuff. But do they ever really suspect the other one of anything that that much of a betrayal at least not yet right like the 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 Cylon thing is still secret um and it's kind of like at this point from what we see there's really not much they can do to each other to like I don't know get taken off of the the list of trustworthy people it must be if if yeah if you're calling him out for sleeping with Cylons and then within a day are handing him over command of the fleet um you know Ty's got a pretty bulletproof uh shield I think Sure. where Adam is concerned and when he says you can't be crazy enough to leave me in charge it's like hard to disagree with them <laughs> yeah for a number of reasons um even even you know before knowing all the things we know now about time mm -hmm. like just even as like a soldier and like how how royally he screwed up leading it the Galactica in the past when Adam has not been around. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, but the old man fight is definitely fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, and and you get the re-breaking of <laughs> right. his model ship. Um, right, which I hope they just bought at this point, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I would assume, the, or or that it's like a, a, a replica. Prop. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Um, right, and that you feel like that's a little the, that's a little wink, right? A little inside joke of like oh, this thing we keep breaking. Yeah, yeah. well, right, because he says like, "Do you know how many times I've had to fix this thing or something like that?" Like, right. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I I I took it as an inside joke there. Um, but yeah, I mean. So it is funny that like then by the end of the episode he's basically handing over the fleet to him and and not only that but like I don't know I, I mean he says don't count on it being permanent and all of that but like it's not just like even the fleet it's the whole concept of the family mm. um that he's sort of handing over to him as well which um, I mean, there's sort of a double, a double entendre in him saying we all need our family because there's, well, maybe even a triple entendre because like there's the, the fleet as family, right? And then there's like Adama going off to find Roslyn, who he's increasingly thinking of as family, right? More than just your normal commander in chief to chief military officer mm -hmm. relationship i think although maybe i don't know maybe 
presidents in the past have had really good relationships with their commanders, with their, you know, chiefs of staff or whatever. Anyway, um, it's not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but also, like, now Ty has impregnated the Cylon, so there's sure. a family... She, she's in a family way, right, as, right. you know, the saying goes. Um, yeah, so there's there's a couple of different layers there. But uh, but I do feel like there's that there's that idea. And, and like you said, even with Rosalind before, like there's that idea of we need to start making babies. It, it needs to be more than just survival. And it needs to be more than just a military, right? Like there needs to be a way for people to procreate and for the population to grow and all of that so there's there's a family aspect and all of that as well mm-hmm. um right well and for the which, cylons it's significant too that like athena and Hilo were the only successful pregnancy up until now so the fact that you know ah uh, uh except for tyrell and callie sure but they right. don't know about that Right. Yes. Right. That we knew of. Right. Up until we found out who the final five were. Right. 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 Which I feel like, I don't remember if it comes around later, but I feel like Nikki kind of gets the shaft there as far as like attention. Sure. Goes, right. Like. Right. Maybe, maybe it's a middle child thing. <laughs> um, but it's, there is that thing of like, like, oh, Hera, Hera, Hera. Right. All this right. stuff, you know, and then it's like, well, Tyrell's a silent, about Nikki? and yeah. he has a, a child with like I don't maybe they didn't like intend. I don't I don't know. Do you know like when they actually chose like who was going to be? Was it like was it a thing of where like they were like okay, Tyrell and Callie have this child, and then. Later, it's like, well, we're going to make Tyrell a Cylon, and so... I, I think it was that. I think it was that. And and it is addressed, so maybe we can wait and talk about Nick, sure. third ch- middle child Nikki when we get to him, but um, the way they address it is very much, you do get that sense of we're retconning and a, a, a little bit of stuff that wasn't necessarily in our minds when we had Callie have baby. So definitely. Um, I think that's the impression that I get, but so yeah, we should talk about that when it, but yeah. So apart from the final five, nobody knows to be like making a fuss about Nikki. Um, But here, like, I guess with both parties being aware of what they are at the time of pregnancy, it's made more fuss over, like, you know. And I do feel like that's at least part of Ty's reaction and surprise is like, oh, this isn't supposed to happen or very rarely happens. Um, sure. So. Sure. Yeah, I, don't, I mean. And so the, the family aspect is significant for the Cylon side of it as well, not just for, you know, the future of humanity, yeah. but for Cylon future and for, like, this kind of you know blended family that they're creating now with this alliance and everything which is kind of what Hera is you know 
like and I guess that's the way that hair is special is um well and Nikki too I suppose that like it's it's not um two Cylons it's it's the blending of Cylon and human that mm -hmm. makes her sort of as the first makes her sort of special that way right well and that's why her blood is able to like right. cure Rosalind, yeah. right like because it's because like pure Cylon blood can't right so right um All right. Um, so yeah, we kind of went around there, but yeah. It, so Adama angry at everyone. Um, he decides he can't uh, even anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that like he 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 needs to he needs to be with his woman. And so he's gonna just take a raptor. Mm -hmm. Of there are like, it's funny how many ships they have, given how they keep complaining that they have no ships left. Right. And like, this idea that like, as as far down as they are in inventory, that he can just go take a raptor to just go sit and possibly die in it. <laughs> um seems like a bit of a waste of resources and that like maybe someone could have put a stop to that but sure but is it a bigger waste of resources than like jumping the fleet around on this you know feudal search and and leading his his guys into suicide missions and um i guess cuz i guess that's the difference between other times where adama has refuse to leave his loved ones behind is this is the like this is him saying it's just him that'll stay behind not because like there were whole episodes that he would spend not allowing the fleet to leave if like starbuck or somebody was like on a planet sure. you know um but how often do they have like like because they had like raptors like like it's not the first time where they've like left a raptor behind to like keep an eye on things while the fleet jumped ahead and sure. like that kind of so like on the one hand you do get the sense that like it's not that much it's not that like that's what raptors are built for they're they're built to like kind of go in poke around listen and then come back mm -hmm. like so on the one hand like yes i get what you're saying like like Is it is it better to like just leave one person behind? Well, sure. I mean, does it have to be him? And does it have to be like this very like funereal like thought that like kind well, of is going along with it? You know, I guess that's the only way to do it because it's like it's not about like the practical like let's find Rosalind in the smartest way possible. It's like it's that declaration of. I guess his own loyalty to her that like, unless she comes back, I'm not coming back either. And that is completely sentimental. And, but that's you know. why, that's why I guess I see that as, as a waste of resources because sure. like that Raptor 
would be useful in other capacities. Like, sure. even, even like, even if the plan was to, you know, uh, wait around, but then rejoin the fleet at some later time. Whereas it's like, and I'm just like, no, I'm going to wait here, like, until I die, if that's what it takes. <laughs> and, and that's the thing that I think, mm. I, I get that maybe there's, a kind of romantic, I guess, aspect to it, but like even that seems like a little like cooler heads should prevail in that sure sense of like Starbucks is well maybe not cooler, but like Starbucks should be like yeah dude nah we can't risk right another raptor like well, I'll leave a pile like racetrack racetrack does this shit all the time. <laughs> Let's just leave her for a while, right, right. and then she'll come back. And right, right. if she, if she needs to refuel, that's fine. And then we'll send her out again. And um, like I, I also have to point out, uh, when Starbuck is the one being like, "My people are gonna feel like they're being sent on a suicide mission." It's like Kara, <laughs> <laughs> sure, girl. I I do that's feel like that rich. conversation is not. Yeah, that that's not really that's not like the like something happened to Starbucks. Like Sure. She there's pod people or something like <laughs> took her over. She's and, way too calm. Way too yeah, calm. Yeah, like yeah. Like there this is not the Starbucks we know and love. Right. Um, right. Right. And I wanna kinda say like, oh, it's the she's been released from like they found what they were looking for, they found the hybrid, which led them to the next thing. So they have a, a route now and she's eager to get back on the trail for earth. And, but there's an unburdening of that off her, like, but I, yeah. Coming so soon off of the Demetrius, it's like to hear her kind yeah. of talk about taking care of the fleet, the morale of her pilots and not feeling, right. feeling like they're sent on suicide <laughs> missions is like a little rich. It's a little rich. Yeah. Um, and maybe, you know what, like, there's a lot in this episode of people acting a little ridiculous, a little out of character. There's not a lot of cool heads, really, in this episode in general. Um, and I mean, that, that's fine, I guess, but like, but then Starbuck is a cooler head. Right. When she kind of isn't, (laughs) shouldn't be really. Um, yeah. Or at least lately, you know, she's, this is sort of a kind of calm we haven't seen from her, like, since she came back, really, you know. Um, I mean, not that she was ever calm, but, you know. Um, so yeah, all right. So a few more, I mean, we've spent most of all this time on Adama, um. I mean, there's the brief thing with him and Lampkin. Um, I don't know that there's much to say about it other than just, mm-hmm. you know, right. looking for, you know, what he come. He, I guess it's, uh, I forget what it, what he calls it, but some kind of thing to like basically absolve the captains of the ships that they're using for. Right. Search and rescue, or something. Right, I guess they're Which kind of it? like commandeering ships that, like, the captains are basically covering their butts. That if anything yeah. happens, we, Which, we didn't. This wasn't our idea. 
I'm not entirely sure what that's about either. If like Adama is the one sort of waiting behind, like, are they sending these ships out proactively? I don't, it, it's all very confusing. Well, I like, thought I feel that like was they didn't... before, like this is before he makes the decision. Right? Like, I think, I think sure. it's after that, that he decides, oh, it's just going to be me. And this is his, like, I'm not going to lead all those people into danger. I'm just going to stay behind and do it myself kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, uh, and I guess, yeah, I mean, the Romo conversation, like, there's not a ton of stuff there. I guess it gives him some of those those ideas to sort of chew on that, that influences his final decision, but um, but there's not, like, a ton in the conversation itself. Yeah. Um, well, and it's it gives him that, you know, the the it's the title reference, right? The sine qua non, with without which nothing, and and so that's what I guess Adama realizes that Roslyn represents mm -hmm. to him, right? Is that she she's the without which he has nothing, right? Mm -hmm. um, So the way I summed it up in my notes was that Adama then takes his book and goes off and sulks by himself in a raptor deep in space. Um, which is pretty much how it, how it works, right? Mm -hmm. Although I'm assuming that he'll read the ending of Sea Rider Falcon. This time. Sure, especially if there's, you know, an expectation of at least... A, pos a strong possibility of that being the end for him, then, yep, he's got that book and I guess is ready to read the end of it. Um, all right, so the other half-ish of the story... Um, Not that we need to spend I, I don't, an yeah, I don't amount think, of time on it. I think it's, I think it's a lot more straightforward, actually, and, and a lot fewer people to talk through, but um, I mean, yeah, so we already talked about, like, the quorum kind of having questions about what's going on. Um, Zarek kind of does his best as he learns things, and you get him, like, coming in and out and kind of explaining as much as he knows. Um, and then they sort of vote Lee in as, well, not vote him in, but sort of appoint him as, like, their official representative to... Uh, so again, like he's the military liaison, right? Like that's like way back to early mm. times, you know, that's kind of his role with Roslyn to begin with, right? Was like the liaison uh, between the military and the civilian government. And it's like, you just can't seem to get out of that mm -hmm. role. Um, he... Uh, First thing he does is sort of throws Zarek under the bus. As he do, great. yeah. As one does. Um, and and Zarek kind of gets irritated with him um, for doing so. And it's funny because, all right, so Lee, you know, Zarek's like, you know, I, I 
helped you get this job and and I and now you're saying that I should step down from this position I was elected to and Lee's like well you weren't elected president and but then like Lee gets appointed by the quorum as president and he wasn't ele- he wasn't even elected to the quorum. Right. So Zarek is still so the like, only like elected official in this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So like, well, I mean, presumably all the other quorum well, right, officials of, like, were elected the ones by that their we, delegation. Right. Of but the like, like, ones got, that we know. Yeah. Lee got appointed because he was filling a, a vacancy. Right. right? Like right. Roslyn and Zarek appoint him and... Right. He gets the job, and then he... So it's like... He might have a valid criticism against Eric that, like, he was never elected president. He was only elected vice president. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, like, that's an even more valid argument against why Lee should be in that position. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> um, and, and you know, he's already kind of... Like you said, like, Roslyn's military advisor and, and protege, and he was... Um, not the first time yeah. he's been accused of being like handed a battle star from his daddy, you know, like over yeah. when he was so like, like I'm not saying Lee doesn't deserve any of it, but like definitely, if we're kind of a little concerned about the Adama Roslin, uh, stepping away from responsibility for their actions to the civilian fleet. Lee being given all of these titles and responsibilities kind of only furthers that because you could totally see looking at it from the outside, looking, look, feeling like this is just, you know, a, an insider's game in an old boys club. And, you know, like if your name's well, Adama, yeah, I mean, you get this stuff and, you know. It's a dynasty, right? right. I mean, that's. Yeah. Um. So yeah, right. This is uh, this is what B- Baltar was uh, preaching to the masses, right? Right, right. And I mean, and like the quorum votes him in because they think that he's going to have an in with his father, and of course his father steps down. Sure. So and passes it on to Ty, which remember Lee pointing a gun to Ty's head, right? <laughs> like. Yeah. I mean, it was a few years ago now, but like, right. still happened. Yep. <laughs> like, they don't really see eye to eye. They certainly are not. I mean, yes, Ty and Adama had their old man fight this episode, but like, you know, at least like Adama and Ty are generally like on the same page. Maybe a little different intensity on some things, mm-hmm. but like, generally kind of on the same page and you know that's not the case with lee and and ty so uh yeah i mean the question becomes then is like lee more of a hindrance in that role Hmm. than a help um maybe i mean maybe because he does have experience with handling ty versus others who don't and maybe don't wouldn't understand them so maybe there is still that aspect of it but um we already know that they've butted heads quite a few times Mm -hmm. so it's not like uh you know that's great i mean i don't the process the process of like getting lampkin and 
I mean, search committee, it's Lee and Lampkin, right? Like, I mean, there's kind of this talk about a committee and stuff. And then, like, even, like, half the time, it ends up just being Lampkin and his imaginary cat on his own, Right. right? Like, so I don't even know... I don't. I kind of feel like it was a weird thing bringing him back mm-hmm. for this. Um, I'm not totally convinced by the portrayal of like how Lee convinces him to come join him in this effort to find a good mm-hmm. candidate. Um, and I don't even know that like he's the right person to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. So I. I don't know. It just seems a really weird choice and I don't I don't feel like it's it's all that convincing. And like may I so it's kind of predictable like where it's heading. Um I don't know that the surprisingness is there. Mm. But then again, like maybe that's kind of the point of like Lee, you know, Lee's the obvious candidate to everyone but himself. Mm-hmm. But I'm also not entirely sure that, like, it's written or or acted well enough to, like, for that to be the point. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there's a little bit of a Lee protests too much mm-hmm. aspect. Um, so, I don't know. What um do you have any thoughts about sort of Lampkin and, and Lee um, in this episode? Yeah, I mean I've registered my issues with Lampkin. That's not he doesn't always work the best for me. I mean, I think in the trial doing his thing is probably the character at its best. Um both before and after that. He starts to feel a bit out of place for me a little bit. And maybe it was just the thing of you know, maybe they, for whatever reason, wanted to bring the character back and found a place for him. I'm critficking a little bit, but like maybe the, the, the motivation of having the character involved was more so than actually having a good place for him, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and like with Lee, I feel like it's really tough because, um, you know, like the, the episodes where they tried too hard to make him like, flawed in a gritty way of like oh he's he's you know he knows about the black market and he has a hooker and all this kind of stuff was like a bit overkill but like this is this is too much like lee on some pedestal of of unimpeachable morality that's like a little a little irritating um I don't know. And maybe like, again, that sweet spot for me is somewhere in the middle when Lee has kind of a moral compass that nobody else really does. But also part of that is the clear eyedness about his flaws. Like when he's giving his speech about I'm the I'm the the sinner and I'm the one that needs forgiveness. And the fact that he recognizes that is what sets him apart morally from everybody Mm -hmm. else. Whereas, like, this is too much, like, I don't know, uh, like, like you said, a, a big culminating story to tell us what we already know, which is that Lee's going to get this job as, like, you know. And even just the idea of, like, Lee as the interim president is a little silly to me. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, I, all right. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, and I'm kind of, I'm speculating now. I'm wondering if like, even an episode of like, Zarek as the president versus Galactica would have been maybe more interesting than like, making it about how awesome Lee is and how Lee deserves to be president of humanity, you know. Mm. Um, like I don't know. One of those cases of this happens occasionally where they they miss using like one of the secondary characters in an interesting way instead of um like re like they choose to focus on one of the main ones just because we have to do that like it feels like well we have to make the episode about lee rather than kind of maybe let it do something a little more unusual um like putting somebody in charge that has never been in charge before and see kind of where that, where that goes. Sure. But. Um, yeah, I mean, so, okay. Uh, just running through the plot. I mean, they do all their search committee stuff and then I'm not even sure I entirely understand why he wants to shoot Lee. Like, like that's because his cat died, I guess. And he's mad. Um, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, do you at all get the sense that it could be a manipulative thing to like get Lee to accept the position that like, cause that, that kind of line at the end about, oh, where do I have it? Um, like when Lee says, he gives his whole little speech and I'm going to make a difference in this fleet. And Romo says, then swear it. And it cuts to Lee like being sworn in. Um, that makes me yeah. wonder if there's like some of that, that Romo wiliness of like, I'm going to point a gun at you so that you can prove to yourself why you deserve this. But that makes it sound like it's hard to convince Lee and it's kind of not <laughs> like. Yeah. Well, that's, I guess that's the thing is like, I feel like. Like how sincere is his grief and his anger, I guess is, is sort of unclear at the end. Yeah. I don't, I... Or is it that like, he's decided that humanity isn't worth saving and therefore Lee as a hopeful candidate must be eliminated because he like, that's kind of his point, I guess. Right. Is that like, Lee, right, the last thing we need is hope. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, right. That it's better to just stop trying to save ourselves and just let it kind of, yeah. Go down with the ship, sort of. Yeah, I mean, well, and that's... That's more... You know, because his cat died, right? Like, that's the... And it's not even my cat, it's my wife's cat, and blah, blah, blah. But, like, that seems to be the case. Like, these bastards on Gemma... And who gives the, who gives the guy back a dead cat? 
Like gangsters. Is that what happened? I don't, I don't know. I'm not even sure I understand like what happened to the cat. Like why was it even on Gemini? <laughs> and not like why didn't he have it with him? Um and like wouldn't like don't they have trash recycling? Like like wouldn't that cat have been long gone? Like Well and like Interesting intrusion of the supernatural into this episode. Like, is the cat a ghost? Because we see the cat. Oh, I, I just took it as, like, a projection. Running around. Like, well, that's what I mean. Like, I just take that as, like, Lampkin's mental state. But Lee sees the cat. Doesn't he? Doesn't he, like, say, like, oh, that's this fucking cat. You know, don't you feed that thing. He does he, that. He asks, he asks where the cat... You know what? I didn't actually... I, I meant to, like, look at that the second time through, and I forgot. He he asked where the cat is. And I don't know. I don't know if he actually does see it or not. Mm. But I also don't know that there's a clear... Is there a clear time frame to all of this? Well, I he says the pretty... cat's been dead for weeks, is what Lee says. Right, so the... I, and and the implication is like this is maybe like a day or so like right. that this episode like it's not like weeks long that the right. episode takes place over right so yeah at least <laughs> when you, the cat when then you that's type in really Romo, good projection I guess when you type in Romo Lampkin into Google like the second and third search is cat and dead cat so I feel like a lot of people have tried to figure this out. <laughs> Um, that's funny. I mean, I feel like it's definitely supposed to be ambiguous, which at least introduces the idea of like, yeah, there's this dead cat running around then. But projection seems to be a human quality as well, as we've seen, that we've seen humans practicing a form of projection. So I took it as, as that. Um, but yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure Lee doesn't see the cat. So I guess I can't, I can't say for positive. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. Well, I, I don't want to talk about Romo anymore. (laughs) Like I, I don't, that whole thing. Like, I mean, it, it's definitely, it could have been done better, but the upshot is that Lee gets the job and he's provisional president and waiting uh i guess we'll you know he he's lost his father and the other president and now he gets to work with ty which is always a delight um and yeah i mean i guess that's where we'll have to leave it for now yeah right and Um, we'll leave it um for a bit longer because we do flip over to the uh the Rosalind sure. side of things. So before we catch up with the Galactica, we get to see the her her kind of parallel journey, what's going on at the same time as this. So mm-hmm. cool. Alright, well let's move on to Angel. Apocalypse Nowish. Nowish. Um yes, hazily defined uh timetable there now ish um 
Yeah, I want to kind of start with the situation in terms of like the setup of where, because it's very much, I, I mean, there's a big plot event of, of the beast rising and everything, but we don't really find out that much about it. Um, it's more kind of about where the relationships are as the, the beast is arising and the way that that sort of interrupts all of the different relationships within the group. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I wanted to talk about it um, and figured we could start with Angel and Cordy and Connor who are making a rather awkward little uh, threesome here. Um, mm. Luckily not that kind of threesome, but you know, it's- Well, sure. It's, it's a triangle. Um, so, Lauren and Angel arguing about uh, whether or not they should be pushing Cordy to share what she knows because she got her memory back, right? Um, I don't, I'm immediately jumping ahead to Lauren, but interesting flip for Lauren there that like it was, it was Angel trying to get Lauren to share information and Lauren was the mm. one saying, I'm no champion, leave me alone, just let me kind of sit here and recover in bed and eat soup. Um, and sure. now it's Lauren kind of saying Cordy knows stuff and maybe we should be like encouraging her to tell us what that is. And um, it's Angel wanting to give her the space, um, which apparently means she's back with Connor, which is weird. Um, I mean, I kind of, I kind of, okay. I kind of bought it the first time. Like, you seemed more wary of it than me, I'm sure, because you've seen this before and you know where this is going. And I'm kind of more inclined to, like, give it a shot and let it tell me where it's going since I don't know these things. Um, so whatever awkwardnesses there were with Cordy's last day with Connor it sort of was like well by the end of it she left and decided like this is getting a bit intimate a little weird um Connor's getting certain ideas you know maybe this is the encouraging certain things I don't want to that sort of thing so she goes back to Angel in the group now she gets her memories back she needs space from Angel, and what does she do? She goes back to Connor. Like, not space on her own, not space somewhere else, but, like, back where she was just, like, literally a couple days ago and knows that, like, Connor has feelings and impulses and ideas. Um, sure. So yeah, so, I don't know what I, quite what and, to and make I, of that. Other than like Cordy, maybe you need to like get your apartment back, <laughs> and like um, I think she needs to live on her own for a little while. <laughs> when uh, yeah, well, I mean, doesn't look like that's happening by the end of the episode. No, though, right? no. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, so Stephen Estenite wrote this episode, and he said, uh. One of the biggest things this year has been the reaction to Apocalypse Now-ish. Everybody loved the show, basically giving it five stars and then taking three away because of the very end. <laughs> um, right. So I don't know if that fits with how you're seeing it, but 
maybe right. maybe maybe you're not the only one right uh, who sort of feels yeah i mean all right so well and there's many out, different elements of why it's now that weird. it's so maybe we need yeah, to talk through the different because it's not just any that, one thing i don't think now that it's out in the open yeah this is like universally despised <laughs> as like the worst relationship development in all of the Buffy verse. It is not um, great. Not great, Bob. To now, yeah, the... like whether we can whether we can as great. Paul Campbell okay. might say. <laughs> so alright, let me let me so let me just say a couple other things. <laughs> um sorry, that was like a slow burn it took me a second. Uh I realized that was a little a little bit of a deep cut, but not great bob great no i can bob. totally hear him saying that um yeah so now that like now that it's sort of out in the open what's because because i mean yeah like from from the minute cordy shows up i'm like oh man mm. how are you know when when are we getting to this mm -hmm. and um so a couple of things so one um just in general um, not even necessarily ab about that, although it includes that, but just sort of the overall um, episode is uh, they originally wanted to have, um, and this is on the commentary um, for the episode from um, Stephen Knight and the director Vern something or other, I think, um, Vern Gillum. And uh Basically, Stephen tonight says originally they planned to sort of introduce the beast, the big bad, later in the season. Um, but the WB uh, scheduled episode seven, which this is, to be sort of the last one before the Christmas break. Mm. And as we, uh, I don't remember if we talked about this on air or not, but um, on air, you know, on the podcast, but like we've got four episodes of Buffy coming up next right and so that's right. during that period of almost of two months actually where you know before the next angel episode airs and um so it kind of messed a little with their timeline and basically that's one reason why you've got a lot of different developments going on um with some of these things they wanted to take a little more time develop it a little bit more i don't know that it would have felt less weird and creepy had they taken more time it might have actually been worse mm. <laughs> um in that respect and so maybe there's a sense in like it was a good thing that they just kind of had to get through it all uh so quickly but um right it's, yeah, it's almost I mean, like it, no, it only makes sense as an impulsive stupid decision that isn't served by having a lot of build up to it or something almost nobody I I don't think I've literally like there are people who maybe don't like Buffy and Riley, mm -hmm. but there are also like those who are like, no, Riley's not that bad. Mm -hmm. Nobody says that about Cordy and Con like there is no alternative viewpoint hmm. on Cordy and Connor. It's it's terrible. Why did you do this? Objectively I'm, bad. Yeah. I need to, you know, shiv my eyes out and. <laughs> you know like like those are the types of things like just the, right and and i think so and this is again alluding i know i kind of i did it out of context and, and sort of kind of intentionally 
um, back when there was like baby Connor and saying like, oh, well, you know, this Connor storyline isn't like mm, the yeah. favorite among, right. you know, like this is like that. This is this part of the storyline that makes it right. not a favorite among right. Angel viewers, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Um, also kind of funny, interesting, weird, whatever you want to call it. Um, Denight and Gillum the writer and director love 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 uh uh oh the actor uh uh Vincent Carthizer right yeah Carthizer and and uh they just they just think he's so great and i mean i actually do like him in mad men mm. i'm not sure i see the greatness mm. in angel mm -hmm. <laughs> and i don't know how i mean i don't know like we can continue talking about that here or, or in other episodes and whatever um mm. I, yeah i just i'm i i don't know i i it's definitely a yeah i mean yeah i don't know there's some elements of i've wanted to try to um knowing some of that that you all just said of like the reputation and everything I've wanted to try to kind of take a Dawn approach of, all right, let's yeah. look for the redeeming qualities or look for the aspects where we're condemning him for having teenager qualities or, you know, um, you know, or, or whatever it is. Um, and I think it just, it, I don't see any like chemistry whatsoever that would make you think that this would be a good idea because right. I mean, I'm trying to kind of even pinpoint what the problem is like, and I feel like there's a lot of little things like, okay, Connor's not particularly likable as a character. So there's that, like you're, you have a hard time kind of rooting for him in that sense. Um, yeah. I mean, well, and even some of the flirty stuff that like Cordelia says him, like, oh, like father, like son, when he like creepily appears out of nowhere. That's weird. Yeah. Right. So there's yeah. a slightly, it's not incestuous, but there's something a little bit weird of like her using him as a substitute for, because even in this episode, she's talking about like not loving angel and only not being with him because of whatever these different circumstances or what she knows or needing yeah. space or whatever. So it feels right. very much like Connor is kind of just used as a substitute for that, which is a bit icky. The age thing, mm. it's definitely part of it too. Like the fact that it's not just that like she's older than him because, okay, we've had, Buffy with much older vampires and I want to resist the um temptation that it's okay when the guy is older but not when it's the woman you know that like you know but on the other hand it's like she just seems like too much woman for him <laughs> like I don't see sure. the attraction here like whereas like despite the age difference and, and maybe it's like that she knew him when he was baby too. So there's, that's part of it. Like, it's not like they're just strangers that met each other in the alleyway. It's like, she's part mother to him. Well, she did meet him in an alleyway when he was an infant. Well, yes, State. but not in a like sexy no, way. I'm, I'm joking. Yeah. You yeah. know, like she's had like most of her 
like at least half of their relationship has been like maternal. Um, right. So I think that's what's making it feel weirder than it was when it was like Angel and Buffy. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then even just that, like, how much of it began with him just sort of being kind of fresh with her. And it's like, suddenly she just isn't really bothered by that anymore. That, like, you know, like, two episodes ago, she left because he was kind of, you know, feeling her up and, like, being creepy, uh, creepy guy who had, like, a weird little crush, which fine like that happens but like now kind of all of a sudden that seems like less of an issue and um I don't know and yeah maybe it's it's kind of going for like a sweetness that just doesn't work like the kind of way it's framed in the end of like um that they only they're the only ones that really understand each other and that she's kind of giving him this gift of like, well, if we're gonna die, then we're gonna live first and I'm gonna give you this experience or whatever. Like it just it's not not convincing. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I mean it could also just be a simple do the actors have chemistry with each other kind of thing of like with different people in those roles, like would you um, like let's bring up the recent development spoiler alert at the end of game of Thrones. There is a very icky relationship that gets consummated at the end of game of Thrones, which sure, which for all its ickiness and wrongness, like they're the two hot young leads of the show and you understand the attraction even as the audience you're aware of the ick factor you're going no don't do it but you totally get why they do it um i don't feel that here i don't feel the thing that makes it not justifiable but the thing that makes it compelling Beyond just the like, oh, this is kind of wrong. Um, it's lacking well, that kind of magnetism between the two. So, and I mean, of course, when you bring in Game of Thrones, you have the added factor of like, there's much ickier, <laughs> like, relationships going on. Right. That's um, like not even the grossest one. Yeah. Right. right. So there, there's certainly, but there's something. Even if you disapprove, there's something that you understand why it's happening. Even if as the audience, you know better and you're wishing it would stop. There's also like that part of you that's like, Oh, but that makes sense for the story. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas I don't know that I can find that here. Like what's sure. Where is this? And why does this feel? And why should this feel inevitable rather than kind of like, um, and and I don't yeah. want to even necessarily imply, like, because, I mean, we'll obviously, you know, it's only episode seven of the season. So, like, maybe there will be developments that once you cast 
back a light on. Right. Not that maybe it becomes less icky, but then you have that understanding. That inevitability. A better understanding of the ickiness. From like a narrative (laughs) point of view, what's the point of this? Yeah. You you understand wherein the ick lies. Um, No, and totally like I... Or maybe not. Like where it's going, so yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll continue to look back on it and just be like, yeah, nope, still doesn't work. Um, As... Many do. <laughs> sure. Um, so I don't. I, I don't mean to like prejudice you one way or the other, but I mean this is like this is sort of the epitome and the revelation of this, as you know, Denight admits. Like you know, people didn't like they. They love the episode overall, and then it's like, okay, fire rains down. Good, good, good. And wait, what? Why is Connor on top of Cordy? Wait, right. what's going on now? And that just yeah. Um, sort of turned a lot of people off. I, I do appreciate how the the kind of black humor of Angel being much more disturbed and angered by that image than by like the actual apocalypse that's raining down around him. Sure. <laughs> like, well, and like right, the fiery like right. could kill him in an instant right. if he gets hit by one of these right. things. Right. Yes. Which, like, I don't know if it's meant to be quite as, like, funny as that. It's, like, I'm sure there's a point in terms of, like, the character. Like, oh, yeah, like, Angel, the, the apocalypse is happening, but Angel only has eyes for this this union that's happening in front of him. Um, and that shows you how upset and betrayed and intense he is. But also, like, it's kind of, like, funny. Like, um like what Cordy and Connor do is more shocking than the actual fiery end of the world. Um, Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. um, Well, we kind of, so I know, I know we jumped around. We did. That's okay. I mean, no, that's all right. We were talking about the angel Cordy Connor relationship. So we were, and I don't, I mean, a lot of it is set up for that. It's, it's Mm -hmm. angels being rather trusting with them, um, which turns out to not really, um, he, he's maybe not so happy about that at the end of it. Um, but for most of the episode, it's like him trusting that Cordy needs space and will tell them what she knows when she's ready, trusting Connor to take care of her I think he meant it in a different way than Connor did um but like with their relationship being strained him actually like giving the benefit of the doubt that like they'll do they're taking care of each other but in a in a respectful way and everything so kind of like that's the setup for the the betrayal at the end and feeling like maybe that trust wasn't justified. Um, Mm. So, yeah, and I guess the only other thing, too, with them is Cordy's kind of rationale for why she can't be with Angel right now, which is that as a higher being, she had this knowledge or kind of experience of what Angel was like as Angelus. So her being kind of creeped out by him in a more personal way than she ever had before. Like intellectually she knew, but it seems like 
she's been a bit spooked by seeing memories or visions or whatever of what a kind of awful sadistic killer he was. Sure. So there's that. And I guess like that's kind of foreshadowed with the like, I remember all of it. Like she remembers all more than what, more than just her own experience, but like mm -hmm. kind of everybody else's experience too, or whatever she learned or knew when she was a higher being. Um, okay. Fred and Gunn. Um, yeah. Not a whole lot with them, but, and, and kind of on the same lines of the last couple episodes of their distance ever since their episode with Fred's old professor. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, Gunn kind of getting frustrated with her inability to move on from that. Um, probably significant that even though he's the one that did the, the actual murder, um, she's the one that's more disturbed by it. Um, like maybe the, yeah. the guilt of her feeling like she burdened him with that, um, you know, well, or, or her lack of resolution that she didn't actually get to do it. Like he kind of took that decision away from her a bit. So she didn't, she, she didn't really get the, the catharsis of it. Like she didn't get to do the deed. And now Gunn is the one who in her mind has this terrible thing on his conscience, which is even worse for her. So. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the latter is kind of the one that, I, you know, kind of the the way that I take it because it's it's more like she's angry that he made a decision for her, right? Like whether or not she would have ended up killing her professor, which it seems like she was certainly on the way to doing. She's angry that he took that decision out of her hands, mm -hmm. but I think there's also the sense of like because she does say. You know, he says, you know, something like, oh, well, you're not that kind of person. And she's like, well, but you are. And he goes, well, I am now. So it's kind of a twofold and maybe they're even a little contradictory. But, you know, that sense of like that he is someone who would kill a person for her, like maybe is is bothering her a bit, too. And maybe there is some guilt to that or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I kind of get that it's more the, yeah, that he, he kind of took, took it out of her hands and made that decision for her to not let her make her own mistakes or, you know, def, you know, fend for herself or, or however you want to kind of phrase it. Right. Or get some um, closure from the whole thing. Right. Um, right. I mean, I think those are all sort of intertwined, mm -hmm. but yeah. Right. Um, right. So he kind of wants to try to get back to how things are and she's not really uh, feeling that. So, um, you know, and, and there's no kind of way to talk about it without it becoming an argument and becoming hurtful. So, um, so she leaves and goes and like just drinks coffee at their diner. Um, so 
yeah, that's kind of what she does for the rest of the episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> right, and then Gunn sort of sulks around and, yeah, you know, is surly. Uh, yes, yes. He's, are you yeah. always this grumpy, right? Or is it grouchy or whatever? That's not what she said. He kind of is. Um, <laughs> um, Wesley and Lila... The uh, the Wesley um, Fred thing is now sort of maybe Lila knew about it before, but certainly she's aware of it and sensitive to it now. So she kind of uh, yeah dresses up for Wesley in a little way and uh, kind of just to sort of you know maybe turn him on, but also maybe just to test him and see what his reaction is and see kind of how. He responds to it, um, mm-hmm. you know. So, like on the one hand, he kind of doesn't really bite. He's sort of playing a little coy, and oh, her theories deserve attention. Um, just okay. her theories, but but then at the end, he's also saying, "Leave the glasses on." So, you know, right? Like, like slightly mixed messages. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't know that there's a deep analysis to it, but clearly a willingness to explore a little role play, I guess. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess Lila caring enough to try to get, you know, I mean, not that that's the first indication of care between them, but like yeah, it being Although, enough of a thing to kind of make a, a little fuss over it and make Wesley feel a little uncomfortable, like, you know, teasing him kind of for it. And um, and I don't, I mean, this might be more my reading into it than the portrayal deserves, perhaps. But you do get the sense of, like, when he says, like, no, no, like, you know, let's go, <laughs> like that maybe she's even a little disappointed. Like maybe she was hoping that he would like tell her not to look like Fred, but then he's like, okay with it. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense in, in which like, maybe she's a little disappointed by that too. Right. Um, right. Yeah. No, I definitely think there's an element of testing um, just to kind of gauge what his, what his reaction is. Um, yeah. And, but, like, not just testing and, like, being okay with whatever happens. Like, also being a little disappointed by the results of the test. The reaction, test. yeah. Um, sure. So, yeah. Um, Lauren doesn't have, he's not part of a couple. He's not, he's the only one. Um, no. But he does take a lot of phone calls, um, which is mm. equally rewarding, I'm sure. Um, and like, I mean, so there's not busy somehow. Yeah. I mean, I kind of mentioned his pestering of angel, which is sort of a slight, uh, reversal for him, um, in the recent episodes. And I guess that's the other main thing for him is just like holding down the fort. Like increasingly he's not just their fringe guy who goes who's kind of hangs around but does readings on the side he's like very much a part of the team and the central operations and everything so um Mm. that's sort of his 
job here is is with with guns help too but kind of taking all the calls and so you're getting over the course of that they're laying in this idea that like the apocalypse is coming and so paranormal activity is sort of skyrocketing right. and everything and it's sort of little little hints yeah. and foreshadowings about that so sort of ghostbustery right like with right you know the number of paranormal events sort of increasing or like right. You know, before an earthquake, when like the animals start all kind of running out of the ground or mm -hmm. whatever, right? Um, yeah. So let's yeah. let's talk about that um, event. Um, I mean, so in terms of like plot stuff, um, okay. there are lots of um, what was the uh, the plural that Buffy settled on, like apocalypse. Apocalypse, apocalypse, something like. Sure. But this is like the latest, like you know, hell beast that's rising. Um, yeah. And we kind of find out about it in stages. So um, just kind of wanted to jump through them. So Cordy is having visions again. Um, so we kind of wondered whether she would continue to do that. And it seems like she is. Um, and uh, they lead her to the alley where Connor was born and that's where the beast mm. sort of pops out of the ground. So that seems not coincidental. Um, I mean, I, I presume we'll find out more about that. Like, what is it about that spot that, you know, made it sort of either created the situation or made it a, a useful place for, this entrance to take place it's not quite clear sure like which is the like the chicken or the egg there um but but anyway it has something to do with connor's birth it seems that's all i got i don't really have any speculations about that really yeah um i mean Connor certainly seems convinced of that. Yeah. Although Cordy kind of tries to say it's not true. So. Right. We don't, I mean, there's no real like argument one way or the other. Right. It's one is saying, of, yes, it is. No, it isn't. Right. Um, yeah. So. Okay. So then Angel goes to Wolfram and Hart for, for Intel. Um, and we kind of find out that they extracted the vision from Lorne, but it like didn't tell them them anything because they can't access sure. it. Um, so it was actually, can, can I just say, I love that Daniel day Kim's <laughs> appearance in this episode is solely to like sit in a chair, right. Tied up Gagged and, and like yeah. not, not do anything like, <laughs> He literally just sits there, yeah, tied and gagged. Right. Like, that's just hilarious to me. Right. Here's your check, Dan. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's funny. Um, yeah, and, and that's funny, too, with, uh, oh, you think, like, Angel threatened or tortured this information out of him, and it's like, I didn't have a chance because he just told me everything. Like, you know. Gavin's not the uh, 
And I mean, nobody in Wolfram and Hart is really all that brave. Um, mm-hmm. And if you kind of catch them, they sing like canaries. Um, like, pretty quickly. Like, you don't even have a chance to threaten them in any way. They're just ready to tell you everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I And I guess, like, the biggest piece of... Because they don't find anything out from the vision... Um, the biggest piece of information being that, like, it actually would have killed Lorne if it had stayed in his head. Um, so they kind of accidentally did him a favor. Um, and he'll send them a fruit basket, he says. Um, <laughs> sure. So, you know, didn't really... I mean, we have saw Cordy's visions get painful and dangerous, so the idea of a vision that kills you is not completely unheard of, but... For Lorne, it like that never really um, seemed to be part of the way he works. So that's a kind of unexpected twist, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah. All right. So they find that they get back to the hotel to kind of group, and uh, Wesley returns. Wesley being very helpful lately, he just sort of kind of just shows up whenever they might need a hand and they pretty much always accept it. Um, and by the end you even have Angel, you know, tossing him the crossbow and, you know, like, are you, are you in? So not exactly friends, um, but kind of totally accepted as like a member of the team in a perfectly sort of business like functional way like we're not going to hang mm-hmm. out um but he's slowly getting back in with the group at least as a kind of useful ally yeah yeah um and then gun is the one that kind of figures out so they get like the readings of the vision are like in the form of like these weird patterns and images on paper and, and um, gun who's normally, like he said in the last one, like kind of just the muscle, like he's not the leader, he's not the brains or all these things. Um, And yet he's the one to kind of step back and see the pattern um, and figure it out, which is, you know, I guess not normally how the kind of like role that he takes in the group to be the one that figures out the secret, you know, for everybody else. So mm-hmm. that's pretty cool to see. Yeah. Although um, not actually an alchemical symbol. Shocking. <laughs> yeah. Just, well, it's just, it's frustrating because they're like, is an actual there are alchemical, alchemical symbol yeah, yeah, yeah. for fire. Yeah, like, yeah. You could have just used the actual one instead of something totally not. Right, right. No, could have done a little more research into alchemy and everything. Um, Um, And, like, it wouldn't have taken that much. No, just, like, whole whole websites and books devoted to that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Even in 2002 Mm -hmm. or whenever this was. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you know is what it is uh yeah no i mean 
Yeah, say what you... I mean, I don't know that it's, like, a huge intellectual feat, but certainly, like, you know, his, like, sort of restlessness is what does it, right? Like, he's like, oh, you know, got to get up and kind of move around, and, and then, you know, it's that taking a step back and looking at it from a different angle rather than the sort of close-up scrutiny, scholarly stuff that, you know, Wesley's doing or, right. you know the rest of them were kind of looking at it real close and whatever. And it's, you know, maybe taking that bigger step back and looking at things from a different perspective that Mm -hmm. gives them that, um, you know, that perspective to see it, uh, see how it really fits together. Right. Right. That, that, uh, that outsider's kind of perspective in a way. Um, Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, okay, so then they figure out, all right, so that's, that leads them to where this, whatever this kind of ascension is at the end, which it ends up sort of accomplishing when it sort of creates the fire and kind of shoots it up into the sky and it starts to rain fire and, and this is the uh, apocalypse mm-hmm. that's happening. Um, it kind of, this symbol leads them to um, to a particular building and everything, um, yeah. where they uh, have a big fight. And you know, it's a fight. I'm not sure how much analysis there is to be done about the fight. No. And Wesley pulling out the guns was probably like the most surprising part of it, because again, like so, like Buffy and Angel, very much like Doctor Who, are very non gun centric. So it's always mm-hmm. notable to me whenever guns come out, like that's sure. like always significant, I think. And the fact that like it's Wesley who's not really part of the team anymore. So he's coming in with like this rather than the kind of medieval weaponry, which is what Angel sort of always carries right. around. Wesley now has this kind of heavy, you know, artillery and he's like prepared in a new and, different sort of way um yeah yeah which i mean we've seen that so many of the things that they fight are basically normal mortal animal you know creatures like yeah they can be killed and so probably you know 99 percent of the things they go up against guns work you know as well as an axe or whatever else but you know this uh beast seems to be uh a little a little bit it's it's i mean it's it's real hard like not you know not sure what he's made out of or whatever but like seems to just sort of like bounce off him right um so uh, one thing uh, Stephen Knight does say in the commentary is, um, so, you know, he started out on Buffy and mm-hmm. uh, this is now the second episode of Angel that he wrote. And he said one of the things that he liked about coming over to Angel was that he thought they always did much better fight scenes than Buffy did. Mm-hmm. And so, like, this was his chance to, like, write, like... <laughs> like his, what he wanted to see in a fight scene mm-hmm. like in Angel. So like all of these like very like sort of matrixy mm-hmm. slash John Woo slash like right. you know like all these different I mean totally, you know, from a 
maybe directing standpoint kind of a bear but um they said yeah like the entire budget of the episode was basically spent on the fight scene and then like they kind of had to do like i mean you can even see like earlier in the episode where like you have cordy's vision like the styrofoam <laughs> boulders like hitting the you know beast as he's coming up out of it you know like all of that was like sort of like cheap and you know uh more easily done so that they could like have all the money for the divert all and, the money to and, the end yeah and and when you're looking you know when you're watching it and you see like it's all like slow motion camera work and like you know the, those sorts of techniques of you know right and just kind of stunt guys getting thrown around and yeah um yeah yeah, yeah. um so yeah and i mean you know like you said, I don't know that there needs to be a ton of analysis. Um, there is, uh, so a couple things I do want to point out. So you, um, you get the, inaccurate though it may be, you get like the people, you know, the dead people sort of aligned in a pyramid, um, which calls back to Cordy's uh, comments earlier of, you know, every time I close my, which I think was actually, it was in her dream that she says this, but you get the sense that like it's also true in mm -hmm. real life. Um, every time I close my eyes, I see it, something horrible moving deep down. I can taste the blood of all the people it's going to kill, smell the burning flesh. And that's, you know, literally what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. He's like killing these people and then sets them on fire to, you know, then set the air on fire, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, also, though, calling back even further back to last season um where wesley goes in front of the loa which is the big uh uh you know fast food right the, uh, the burger or whatever yeah burger thing yeah um where it makes a prophecy of um when the earth shakes the air burns and the sky turns to blood mm. um we get the first two of those the earth shaking and the air burning Right. Um, by the end of this episode and and we will get the third one um, eventually so just kind of noting that that there right. is sort of this prophecy aspect to it as well that's being fulfilled from um, right. that interaction um, right right which was, season, was so. what led to Wesley's sort of betrayal in the first place right was that mis right. misunderstandings so, of that prophecy and and trying too hard to divert the prophecy before and, it was really even coming true yeah and and having to do with angel and you know father killing the son and connor and, right and all of those things too right. so who you know there's right potential there and that it's there still, still may come. be yeah. yeah uh you know some things going on there hmm. um so yeah well uh um, now that he's with his woman he might uh you know that's some more motivation to for the father to kill the son, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so if you... Uh, just kind of to round off, like, the beastie stuff. Um, I mean, we you know, we see him clawing again, like, up through the earth, and, you know, he, come, he pops out where, uh, you know, Darla died and Connor was born. Um... Cordy also says, you, you know, Cordy sort of premonition um, saying it's coming, Angel, and it won't stop. Not until we're all, it won't stop. So, I mean, we're, until we're all dead. I 
think is easy to assume is what she would have said there. Um, but then also implication that she knew more about this thing or knew more when I was all high and mighty, but I just can't get at it. And I think she says that before she later says she remembers everything. So the question is like, how much does she remember about this beast? Right? right. Like what is the, yeah, just what is she remembering? And yeah. Um, yeah, and then just, you know, again, it's sort of extreme strength. It breaks Connor's ribs, and he's never been broken before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of giving, I mean, and then we see Wesley shooting it, which I think is a better demonstration than Connor claiming to have never been broken before. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think that's, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously you got this thing gallivanting now all around while the air rains fire and mm -hmm. um yeah just things aren't going so well at the moment um no nope. but we'll be back in a month to talk about it <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> um, yeah on that um wonderfully unsexy image it leaves us for a month um to to you know speculate until it's time to come back so yeah and i'm i'm sure there was plenty of speculation going on in the uh chat rooms and sure boards. no I, i'd be interested to see some like immediate you know reaction to like that that would be yeah. uh, that would be an interesting like go find an old whedon-esque forum of you know the, in the week afterwards that would be a kind of interesting cultural mm -hmm. sort of moment to look at yeah yeah i don't know uh i don't know if those exist anywhere in an archive or wherever hmm. well anyway all right so that said we'll be back with some more buffy uh next week um the follow-up so now you know we had conversations with dead people mm. and uh with everyone sort of off by themselves getting haunted by this thing um and yeah maybe maybe there'll be some repercussions from that who knows mm -hmm. but uh yeah we'll we'll be back with that next week and uh and until then and oh. it's the uh, the Jane Espenson extravaganza next time, isn't it? Oh, that's right. That's right. It is. Yes, we get uh, Jane Espenson and um, David Shuri co-writing the Buffy episode, and then uh, is she? And then she's writing the. Uh, uh, yeah, the I Gucci think uh, her alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's good. She's so cool. Yes, good. Good reminder, our our patron saint. Yes, de deservedly so. So yeah, I'm excited about that. Very cool. Well, until next week. See you then. <laughs>